Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a good football show. I am Patrick Darty, joined today by Mr. Denny Carter. Before we welcome in Lawrence Jackson for the second half of the show, Denny and I will be taking another look at his downfield passing article that we originally thought he published like 10 days ago. It was actually like 30. And we're going to check in on some recent receiver news, including the Seahawks' post-Russell Wilson group and how the Steelers' new-look receiver core might shake out. We also ponder a Ramsified version of the Vikings offense and what that means. And when Lawrence comes in, we're going to pick his brain on some recent hot button players like J.K. Dobbins, mm-hmm. Travis Etienne, David Njoku, and the Chiefs receiver core. But Denny, to take some of the listeners behind the curtain here at NBC Sports Edge, also known as Roto World, um, it's draft guide season. We are putting together our draft guide right now. We're writing a lot of words. You and I are kind of like two different writers. You're kind of like the inexhaustible, I'm always writing writer. I'm kind of like the, I'm not at all trying to make myself sound like like a, like a an artist or anything, but I'm like the tortured artist kind of writer. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, like, you, well, you think, you think too much about the writing. I think too much. It always ends up very long. I'm kind of like deadline oriented. I'm kind of like revision oriented. I'm like always revising. And like I've written... So I've written, this is actually not a joke. This might sound impossible. I've written over 11,000 words on running backs the past two weeks doing our running back profiles. And I'm still not done. And like the deadline is today. It is today. We've got, we got a little more to do. And to say, like, how, so how are you not like a deadline oriented for, how do you just like do something before the deadline is kind of what I want to know. I find that that I find that working and particularly writing helps to stave off the ex- existential dread you know, which is, which is something, which is a, a, a useful thing, you know, for uh, someone like me. So you just keep writing and you won't have to think about anything else. I personally wrote uh, 6,500 words on AFC receivers for our good and decent tra- draft guide and found some nuggets in there that I can't wait to share with the folks. I can't wait to, uh, here's one that's like totally useless. One that I've been actually been uh, wanting to tweet because it's like so useless, but Miles Gaskin last year averaged under five yards per catch, which is actually almost impossible. Like that's actually close to impossible. I was like, man, this seems like close to impossible. So I looked it up. I looked up every player to catch 
um, at least 49 passes since the year 2000, a.k.a. the 21st century, which is how many receptions Miles Gaskin had last year, which is like a ton. And yet no player had ever averaged fewer than five yards per catch in the 21st century on at least 49 catches, confirming that Miles Gaskin was an historically inefficient pass catcher. And this is this very actionable information that I want the people to well, take out there. You, you got to respect it. For one. You do have to respect it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a know, level and, that you do have to respect. Yeah. yeah, that that is that is remarkable. I I knew he was inefficient. I didn't know he was historically inefficient. So you're staving off existential dread with the right. What if the writing is the existential dread? Then what Yeah, sometimes it? sometimes it is, you know, and and but but you you just you just keep going. Um well, you know, I really I do love writing as as you do. I think like you said our our processes couldn't be more different. And uh <laughs> And, you know, and, and that's, but you get to the same end, end goal. And that's, and that's, what's important for me when, and during the season, I really, really don't like working on a deadline. Now, obviously I do it and, and we get out the articles on time and everything, but I, I prefer to kind of just work on, work on a thing, you know, here and there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and then and then when it's done, I read it over. I might add a couple things to it. That that's my my preference. Yeah, that is a that's a more fun way to work. I I, and the, I kind of like do both. I do the worst of both worlds because I do work that way where I dip in and out of the writing, but I don't start doing that until like the deadline is looming. So yeah. like I get like the pressures of like both different approaches. And you know, before the internet like really ramped up into like this toxic beast nightmare that we have now, beginning and say in June two thousand fifteen. There used to be these like viral tweets all the time. They're like, we're just like, uh, like be more good natured. Yeah. And there was one viral tweet from like 2014 or 15 where some woman describing her writing process. And it was like, one, I sit down at my desk. Two, I have a cup of coffee. Three, I read the entire internet. And then four, <laughs> I begin to write. And that is actually almost my writing process. It too. is. Yeah, right. You, you'll, you'll read 14 Wikipedia pages from top to bottom and then you're ready to go. You know, it's two, actually two, not a joke. I get so last night in bed, I was reading, I somehow got on, I was watching a Pittsburgh Pirates Los Angeles Dodgers game at midnight as central time. As and I got as one does, they got on the list of Pittsburgh Pirates seasons Wikipedia. And then as one does, that dovetails into the Forbes Field Wikipedia, which then goes into the Scheib Park Wikipedia, which oh then God. went into the Connie Mack Wikipedia, which I've read many times before. But uh, if you want to know how the Wikipedia process works, that's how you Wikipedia. I've never been on Wikipedia. <laughs> Do you use Wiki? Are you a Wiki user, by the way? No. no what? I, I never. What? I, I I don't I don't have you know I don't. You don't have, have curiosity. Desire. I know I'm very I'm very curious person. I just I just don't I don't even think of Wikipedia. Is that weird? Yeah, I mean, it's on. It's like by far the best resource the internet has like ever produced, and. Everyone knows like the the sort of drawbacks of Wikipedia, but it's actually pretty well edited. And although the uh, what I one thing I tweeted was the personality section of the Connie Mac Wikipedia did not cite any sources, <laughs> and uh, there had been a flag on there since 2018. And whoever manages the Connie Mac Wikipedia a, has not updated it. He was a pleasant man, from what I understand. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was very taciturn. He was. What year, by the way, do you think Connie Mac was born, Denny? Oh, oh man! Uh, I'm gonna guess like what, like 1890, 1862. Oh my 1862. god, 1862. And he was coaching in like the 60s until like 1950. 
He was managing <laughs> until 1950, and he was born in 1862. Uh, so he was born during the Civil War. He was during so, the the Great Conflagration. The uh, when the, brother was against brother, Connie yeah. Mack was born. Yeah, he was. And born. then he was coaching in the major leagues. Yeah, he was on like in, the cover of Time magazine. There's like video footage of him and everything. In the in the Eisenhower era, I, yeah, this yeah. is wow, it's pretty messed I'm, up. I am flabbergasted. It was. It is flabbergasting. Denny, against all odds, DK Metcalf appears to be one of the league's superstar re receivers who will not be traded this offseason after he originally seemed like one of the most likely. Metcalf Seahawks' existence did not seem to be the happiest even before Russell Wilson got traded, uh, but now he'll be catching passes from some combination of Drew Locke, Geno Smith, and perhaps uh, Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo, if something changes this summer. Fantasy managers, we, we've gotten used to Metcalf and Tyler Lockett used, but I don't know, used, used to Metcalf and Tyler Lockett both being top 20 receivers. But what can we realistically expect from what is a typically elite duo in 2022? Not much, but. No, oh, man. You know, we can <laughs> move, move on. on to the next one. Uh, then. Here's the thing, though. Everybody is going to expect not much uh, to the point where I, f I feel like we're destined to see. DK Metcalf by the summer dropped to kind of a ludicrous ADP where you're just looking at him during drafts and you're going, how do, how do I not take DK Metcalf as my wide receiver three? You know, like one year ago, we had to take him as our wide receiver one. So, you know, I, I understand run heavy. They're going to give Ken Walker 400 carries and they want to establish in the quarterback. I get that. I get that. But if Geno Smith, especially if Geno Smith wins that uh, starting job for Seattle, uh, I think I think there will be opportunity to to go in on Metcalf as a, at a at a reduced ADP to say the least. So what you're describing with Metcalf is a phenomenon that will absolutely be true. Right now he's the wide receiver 19 on underdog, so you're getting into like that lower end wide receiver too. This like already happened with Tyler Lockett. Even when Russell Wilson was the quarterback, he was like one of those annual value receivers every year. Like no one ever wanted to take Tyler Lockett. He's kind of volatile, supposedly. I mean, I've actually really helped push that narrative. I have no well, idea is, if it's actually true or not. No, no, no. Um, it's, it's absolutely – I mean, you're, you're, you're getting 25 fantasy points or you're getting three. That's yeah. <laughs> so he would always become a value, even with Russell Wilson. Now, right now, an underdog, Tyler Lockett's ADP is the wide receiver 42. I mean, do we really think Tyler Lockett will finish outside the top 36, a.k.a. not a wide receiver three? And what's like the ADP cutoff for you where you begin uh, considering Tyler Lockett? And Tyler Lockett's ADP, by the way, underdog, you know, is full of like draft-obsessed lunatics. Yeah. Like Tyler yeah. Lockett's ADP is probably higher on like more normal draft services. But any chance Tyler Lockett finishes outside the top 36, where do you begin considering Tyler Lockett a value? Yeah, I mean, just getting back to what you said, it's a little bit difficult to like, Look at ADP data while complete fantasy football broken brains are drafting in yeah. May. Uh, when normal, uh, well-adjusted humans are going to be drafting in, in a few months. Train, Kyle, please stop. Right. Please. <laughs> it's just, just an army of Cranes and Kyles uh, <laughs> drafting every second of every day. I does he, I, I think that there, yeah, I think that there's a, a, a solid chance that he does not finish as a wide receiver three if the Seahawks operate the way the way they want to operate. You know, the thing that saved him with Russell Wilson was that unbelievable 
almost like almost like mythical connection with R Russell Wilson and Wilson threw uh, a great deep ball. Not not just my opinion per EPA, one of the best deep ball throwers in the league over his time with the Seahawks, and that was Tyler Lockett's game. So without that deep ball, I just I don't know where it's going to come from for him. It's just, man, a player that good, like a guy who can do damage down the field, a guy who can do damage out of the slot. Like he's being drafted behind DeAndre Hopkins, who has suspended six games. <laughs> being drafted behind Devontae Smith, Adam Thielen. I think I'd rather have him than any of those three. Oh, really? Um, no, yeah. I, I want Thielen. Would you rather have Elijah Moore or Tyler Lockett? Oh, man, Moore. Would you rather have Michael Thomas or Tyler Lockett? <laughs> I mean... Who knows what exactly is happening with Michael Thomas and his uh, two-and-a-half-year ankle injury. I guess Thomas, yeah. Sky Moore or Tyler Lockett, oh. the Chiefs' number four wide receiver? Stop with the Sky Moore stuff. What, what, <laughs> what are we doing? Like, like, yeah, like he's like a shiny new toy in the Kansas City offense, but the guy's, the guy's going to get like four snaps a game to start the season unless they like run into injury problems. No, it's Lockett. This yeah. is settling it. This is turning into like one of the biggest internal Roto World debates we have this year. Like what is the Chiefs like targets pecking order actually going to be? And we're going to ask Lawrence about it where I, I think we're, we're, we're just dealing with, we're dealing with Juju Smith derangement syndrome, Denny, where people don't want to believe it. And but he's not going to have the most targets. He's going to have the most targets, folks. He's going to have the most targets. No, I'm I'm deranged when it comes to Juju. You're living in like 2017 if you think that that if if he's coming back to that kind of form. There's no way. Well, he's not. He's it's not not coming back to that kind of form. He's coming back to that kind of usage for sure. Like basically, we've seen what this guy can do with bad quarterback play, which was very disappointing. We've seen what he can do with elite quarterback play. Ben Roethlisberger's final good season in 2018. We can see what he do when there's actually like other talent around him, uh, which I guess there was talent around him. Like, like it was, he wasn't the same after Antonio Brown was gone to draw defensive attention, but defenses have a lot to worry about when they're facing a Patrick Mahomes led offense. And I just really think he's brought, he's being brought in there to just soak up the targets in the middle of the field. And yeah, there's two different forms of Juju Smith-Schuster derangement syndrome. <laughs> I have the one where the, I think he's going to just get a lot of targets, and other people have the one where they just can't see the truth, that he's not going to get a lot of targets. Look, I, I guess you're the uh, Fox Mulder of, of uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, <laughs> you know, a, a truthism here, uh, looking for the truth. But can, can I share a nugget with you for the, the real quick before we move on with the Chiefs pass catchers that I thought was, um, was kind of shocking? So Nicole Hardman, known as uh, you know a, a, a blazing fast deep threat, actually Long slow threat. question mark? Huh? I said actually slow question mark. Not slow, but here's here's how he was used last year. He had 25 receptions last year behind the line of scrimmage. He had 27 between zero and nine yards. He only had seven receptions outside of that range. So, you know, he was really used like near the line of scrimmage. And that I think it goes back to what we were talking about. How do you replace Tyree Kill? I think that, you know, he takes those kind of yards after the catch opportunities near the line of scrimmage, whereas MBS gets gets the downfield stuff. I just don't know where Juju fits in. Juju's like the I mean. Uh, Tyreek Hill was drawing a lot more like intermediate targets last year. I think that's Juju. I really do think it's like a three-pronged approach where obviously MVS 
gets the downfield targets. Miko gets like yeah, the line of the LOS targets, Denny. Yes. Uh, line of scrimmage. <laughs> oh, thank uh, you. I, yeah. I was looking it up as we. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then Juju, for some reason in my head, gets 130 targets <laughs> on the intermediate <laughs> level of the field. I think. I mean, the answer always just goes back to Travis Kelsey seeing 195 targets. But as we know, Travis Kelsey is secretly washed, Denny. <laughs> secretly washed. Yes. No, he's not. Well, he is declining, but he's one of the classic where like uh, there's a different kind of decline when you are an elite Hall of Fame player. And that's the kind of decline that Travis Kelsey's at, whereas yards per out run is going down a little bit every year. But he's so yeah. savvy. Um, yeah. He still like figures out a way to get the production. I think will continue to do that in 2020, 2020, 2022. A lot of <laughs> did you uh, did you skip? I did. Yeah, I'm on. Oh, my God. I've been ex- I have a lip sync. And uh, I've been exposed to lip syncing the <laughs> podcast. Uh, and another unsettled receiver group, Target Hog, Deontay Johnson, has been holding out of voluntary OTAs, which I guess is the wrong nomenclature. You can't really hold out of something that's voluntary as he seeks a new contract. The Steelers raised some eyebrows, didn't he, when they used a second round pick on Toolsy Georgia prospect George Pickens. What do we think is going on with contract year wideout Johnson? And like third year, I guess Gadfly Chase Claypool. Like, are the Steelers how how serious are they about turning over? Who's more likely to be back with the Steelers in 2022? Deontay John 2023, Deontay Johnson or Chase Claypool? Oh, that's a great question. I do want to say we have late breaking word that Deontay Johnson has has come to OTAs okay. on, on on Tuesday for the Steelers. So he has returned. Kumbaya, uh, he signing an eight-year contract extension. The, it is the Steeler way to bend to the team's needs, and and so yeah, I think I think it'll be fine. I think I think he will play. And looking, you know, looking at his production over the over his what three years in the league, I don't see how the Steelers let him get away unless they're one of these teams that says we're not doing this monster receiver contract. Well, they are. I mean, they that's what. One of the things they're famous for, like pretty much the only exception they've ever made was Antonio Brown, since he was maybe the greatest receiver since Jerry Rice. Even the Steelers kind of had like been their rules there, but I, they, that has been. They don't do these second contracts for. I mean, I guess they did for Heinz Ward too, but they have a long, long tradition of letting these guys walk. And well, who like um, Emmanuel Sanders, Plaxico Burris, I mean yeah. Juju Smith-Schuster. Who was the other guy? Uh, there's another like Emmanuel Sanders type dude they've had in the past 10 years. I don't know. They don't pay. They don't give receivers second contracts. But I, it's for, first up, Deontay Johnson, let's just say, what do you think he is in 2022? I, I think he honestly still is kind of like in that low end wide receiver one mix because we know that like a lot of his like mammoth compiling the past two years was about Ben Roethlisberger's arm just being totally shot. I mean, this is going to be like a really conservative offense with uh, rookie right. quarterback Kenny Pickett. Is it not? Like, we're better to dump the ball than Deontay Johnson over and over again. Do you think Deontay Johnson is a wide receiver one in 2022? Or are you more comfortable saying he's like in like the 14 to 18 range? Do you have his ADP offhand? I, I kind of. Well, I've got his underdog ADP. So, like, people like Kyle and Crane are driving it down to wide receiver 18. Um, yeah, I, I'd be comfortable with him there. He's going behind Marquise Brown, which I know we're kind of Marquise Brown fans, but uh, that seems uh, aspirational to me. That's another, I think that's another thing. I think we're going to see Marquise Brown start, <laughs> his ADP would be slightly less ridiculous in 
more casual league. So we'll see about that. But yeah, I feel comfortable with him there because he he is a guy who has time and again uh, proven the ability to command targets, and that really is a skill and a talent. And and we see that with high end receivers. I don't want to call him elite or one of the game's best or anything. I don't think anybody's saying that. <laughs> but but he 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 profiles like you said as a as an excellent uh, underneath uh, safety blanket for Pickett or for Trubisky, who I'm sure. Trubisky will be, you know, under strict instruction not to mess up, to put it politely. And, and and so Johnson will be there to absorb those targets once again. Now, will the Steelers like become extremely run heavy if they can? I I would I would think so. But I, I still think Johnson can can be a top top 20 receiver. Yeah, sure. Top 20. What about top 12? Like you think so, he could be a wide receiver one again? Unless the unless I a game script and the Steelers offensive plans go completely sideways. I, I don't think so. I think I'm comfortable honestly putting him in like the 12 to 16 range. And like the target shares, like the other guys are going to come down even more like Chase Claypool. And it could be like a kind of like a painful transition year for Pat Fryermuth, where he's kind of more of like a look to 2023 type of guy, even though he had a solid rookie year. But I, I actually am comfortable with Deontay Johnson, like the wide receiver 12 to 16 range. But I definitely understand why some people would be more like 18 to 20. I just, I think the targets will like narrow enough there and narrow in Deontay's direction that even if they go like run supernova, like you're saying that Deontay can get enough work. I'm surprised that you are in on a PPR scam artist. Like, yeah, that. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, well, that's some Juju. I mean, I, I basically just like uh, drove my Dodge Stratus and like the Juju Smith Schuster <laughs> PPR ATM machine. Yeah, hoping like the money just like shoots out at my car. Yeah, um, yeah. so that's another PPR scam. Ne- ne- next, we'll talk on. about Jameson Crowder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a PPR scam I'm running for 2022. Denny Brandon Cooks has become kind of a classic. You know, why, why have you guys heard about this? Why are more people talking about <laughs> Brandon Cooks as like a wide receiver two value? Where I feel like everyone is like saying like, why are people talking about Brandon Cooks? It's like where like people think. Others aren't talking about Brandon Cooks, but actually everyone is talking about him as like a wide receiver to value. Uh, first off, have you heard about this? And secondly, do you agree? Uh, is, is Brandon Cooks striking as like an undervalued wide receiver two for 2022? Right. Uh, Pat, the only Wikipedia page I've ever been on is Brandon Cooks's. <laughs> so I, I, I did pour over that and it turns out he is a receiver for the Houston Texans who are still an NFL team somehow. Yeah, I mean, you know, last year he like defaulted into a, a monster number of targets, finished as wide receiver 16 in fantasy, recorded a career high 90 receptions while posting the lowest yards per target, 7.7 of his career. He had the eighth highest target per route run share in, in the league. So he was just being force fed the ball on much shorter targets than we're used to seeing. Which I think is I think is a good sign for for you know how he could be deployed uh, this year. Now they they did you know the Texans did add some some potential target competition in John Mechie, but Mechie may not be ready until you know late September, early October, according to Coach Levy Smith. Uh, so we'll have to see on that. But yeah, I mean I think he's in line once again to just be kind of a somewhat boring but reliable wide receiver too. Yeah, there's Mechie. There's also second-year pros, Nico Collins and Brevin Jordan, should hopefully command more targets this year. And the Cooks thing, I just kind of think 
the like like the Texans in general, he's kind of like graded on a sliding scale last year. Yeah. Like the fact that he didn't become like a wide receiver four, people treated it as like a triumph of the human spirit. <laughs> that he was he was the wide receiver twenty two by average PPR points. By the way, he was higher by total points, but he was just the wide receiver twenty two. But to me, that does not seem like repeatable. Like something that's going to happen again where. He still has the same mediocre quarterback in Davis Mills. I, the target competition, even though it's not like they've added like a bunch of like target commanders, there is increased target competition. And like when it comes down to even if I knew Brandon Cooks was going like, to finish as like the wide receiver 22 again, he's going to finish. Like I'd rather just, I still feel like there's this is there's no ceiling to be tapped there whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like it's a pure floor bet. I'd just much rather make a ceiling bet like that part of the board. And I just don't know where Brandon cooks would become like a value for me. And he's just like one of those annoying summer players to me that like, uh, no one's talking about Brandon cooks and like, yeah, there's a reason for that. Cause he has no ceiling whatsoever. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with that because we know, we know for a fact with, with lovey Smith coaching for the love of God, he, you know, the establishment, they're going to run it as much as possible. Now, will they be able to because of game script issues? We we don't know. But if they improve slightly on defense and they, they've invested, you know, they invested a, a ton of draft capital. They made some signings in the offseason to try to boost what was one of the worst defenses in the league last year. If they get better defensively, I think that could be a, a, an issue for Brandon Cooks because, you know, better defensively, you get closer games. You get more conservative play calling, try the, the Texans trying to win games 13 to 10, things of that nature. Suddenly Brandon Cooks comes out of a win with three targets. And you know, I think I can I can kind of foresee that happening if they get better. If they're bad again, if they're really, really bad, then we're gonna see again Davis Mills just peppering Cooks with targets. Yeah, and say like what you will about the Lovey Smith hire, he has like basically his entire career like organized solid defenses, even last year they were much better than they should have been like considering their personnel. They said so they got caught up. Uh, their offense was so bad that they were kind of just always playing from behind, which is really bad for a defense. But you know, Lovey Smith like is like a legitimately great defensive mind. So that is a, another interesting angle to the cook situation. Danny, I don't know if we're going to have any great insight into this, but I've been wondering what you think like a Ramsified Vikings offense might look like under new coach, Kevin O'Connell, Mm-hmm. Do you have any insights into how this might unfold? Um, it's weird because yeah. I, I was thinking about this doing the running back profiles. The Rams, have, they tried both the bell cow approach with Todd Gurley, and then they've done more committee approaches and had success with both. Uh, lots of interesting stuff always going on with receivers. I just, what are your initial thoughts on what the Vikings Rams type offense might look like? I would think and hope for fantasy purposes that, that the Vikings become more aggressive as an offense, especially uh, more aggressive on early downs where, you know, Mike Zimmer had one instruction for his offense and that was to run the damn ball on first down. And they, they did that way too much during the Zimmer era. They ran a lot on third and short. Uh, So if we can get a Vikings offense that says, Hey, we'd like to maximize points you know, I think that, that that is that boosts the, the the floor and the ceiling for everybody involved for the for Jefferson Thielen for Cooks, uh, for Dalvin Cook, Cooks, Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook. I I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> uh, and then, and then there's also this this observation from OTAs could be nothing, 
but it also could be something. And it's May, so we'll talk about it. Dalvin Cook lining up in wide receiver bunches near the line of scrimmage. Now, you know, I was told by a Rams fan that, well, this is how they used Cam Akers. I'm sorry, he's told by a Vikings fan. This is how they use Cam Akers, and Dalvin Cook is a way better receiver than Cam Akers. Well, it turns out uh, uh, Cam Akers lined up at re receiver eight times last year. So not, not exactly major usage there. But Cook eight is, more than I would have expected, I will say. He is, but Cook is a, is a good pass catcher, so perhaps um, whatever, if he loses anything in the rushing department, if they if they go more committee even even a little bit, perhaps he you know he compensates or counters that with a more more receiving work in that offense. Yeah, just so that's another thing. So we know the Rams, especially late last year, it's not like the Rams don't run the ball like Mike Zimmer. Like they like like Mike Zimmer, they also like to run the ball. But unlike Mike Zimmer, they like to try to be a little more unpredictable about it and try to run hard or smarter, not harder, that kind of thing. Yeah. Although the Rams were kind of just running harder down the stretch last year still. Um they 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 were they were run heavy. Uh they were they were zimmering. But... The, the Rams. They were they were so run heavy in that uh playoff win against Tampa that they almost lost. Yeah, they were zimmering, but um they won the Super Bowl. So we can just go cry about it basically. Right, right. Yeah. So that you know, results over process for sure. And Justin Jefferson, two thousand yard season, right? That's incoming. Um is the Cooper uh, Cup. I I'm I say lock it in. Yeah, I actually almost do feel like say lock it in. Um, I think we're going to see a truly bonkers season from Justin Jefferson in the next two to three years. And yeah, it be this year. everything points to him having like, as you would say, uh, a stratospheric. Stratospheric. Uh, That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, we'll be right back after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet, to go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands by predicting what will happen in the NBA playoffs, on the PGA Tour, and on the NASCAR circuit. We also have a special contest on Tuesday and Thursday called Battle of the Bets, where you can agree or disagree with our experts for a shot to collect some cash. 
We are about to welcome in Lawrence Jackson, but real quick, Denny, we wanted to take one final look at Mm -hmm. your downfield passing article from, I I say earlier this month, it was May 5th. This is being recorded on May 31st. I don't know if you can really say earlier this month at this point, when it was 26 days ago. Yeah. But uh, it was a good article. You thought that Mike Williams may have gotten a little unlucky as a downfield receiver in 2021. What is this all about? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, as I highlight in the article, Justin Herbert is is top three in expected points added on passes that travel at least 30 air yards since he entered the league. So two seasons, um, you know, so very, very good. And we would expect that for, from a guy with an unbelievable arm. Mike Williams, yeah, last year, Mike Williams had the 10th most downfield targets. And so he was just behind Stefan Diggs with 26 targets downfield. He only caught 11 of those for that's a 42% reception rate that ranks 41st among wide receivers in the league last year. Now he's still four of those 11 receptions ended up as touchdowns. So it's not like he didn't do anything with them. You know, he did, he did quite a bit, especially early in the season, but a, a, a little, and these are naturally inherently, you know, volatile, hard to predict kind of targets. Cause they're just way downfield you know, a little, a little better luck, we'll call variance, whatever you want to call it. And, and I, I think that he not can blow up. I I, I don't think because that would require a, a, a massive shift in, in target share, but he may have a, a higher ceiling than, than we think. That makes a lot of sense because I mean, he got off to that insane start and it was kind of disappeared. And it's not like everything changed. It was maybe, it just maybe that's the variance of like sports statistics changed and so that's actually not too. He's also helped by the fact Mike Williams, the Chargers, who I think really needed to add somebody, didn't add like anyone to their skill core other than Gerald Everett. They're like really, really depending on Josh Palmer taking a sophomore step forward. I thought the Chargers were someone who like needed to add to their skill core, and they yeah. did not. Kind of like the Chiefs last year, like you know, all offseason, like man, the Chiefs need to find that number three weapon, and they didn't do it, and then it was like a massive problem all year. I kind of thought like the Chargers were that team this spring where I, I thought they really, really needed to add someone and they well, did not do it. They still have your guy Guyton. They do, which I, I'm going to cut him by the way. Yeah. Also, uh, uh, I, I don't know, you know, Josh Palmer, I, I think that he's more of a direct backup to Keenan Allen. Um, yeah, so yeah, that makes it, sense. The, it, the Chargers, it, man, if someone gets hurt, they are yikes. They are yeah. uh, down bad. Well, we saw, I mean, you know, he, Palmer went bananas when Allen was, uh, was out last year. So he's, he's someone to monitor but yeah, I mean, just getting back to, uh, to to Mike Williams, like he's still, you know, he's an elite downfield prospect. A pro- really, prospect. I know what uh, you mean, but uh, yeah, I, I should say he has great prospects downfield. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, but he he really he really did get quite unlucky in 2021. Yeah, that's that's a pretty interesting point. Now we would like I didn't even attempt to transition there. I don't know why I was going to say it's now welcoming an interesting <laughs> get, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't do a transition to Lawrence. What is up? Uh, we have some players we want to ask you about. I thought first I might as well ask you about the NBA finals. We know you like to talk NBA too. Uh, Denny, did you watch the game? I thought the most interesting part about the Eastern conference finals game seven was Jeff Van Gundy actively sounding like he had COVID. Yeah. And that was weird. <laughs> uh, the entire time I was yelling at the TV, take some NyQuil and go to bed. Or take some Regeneron or some of those, whatever oh, those new things are. They're, they're in a game. Yeah, he sounded like hell. We hope you feel better, Jeff. Uh, it was all, Mike Breen was in the COVID protocol. So, I mean, 
I sort of feel like Jeff Van Gundy had COVID. Yeah. He was like gasping for air. <laughs> was, uh, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but uh, who's going to win, Lawrence? Who's going to win the NBA Finals? I'm going to go with the Warriors, It's got to be man. the Dubs, right? Although yeah. I want Jason Tatum. I mean, I've never rooted for the Celtics in my life, but I root for St. Louis. So I kind of feel like I want to root for Jason Tatum. But I think the, I think the Dubs are going to roll him over, although supposedly the Celtics are historically good defensively. I don't know. I don't think it's going to be like that. I think it's like the Celtics team, they they are tough. I mean, they, they've shut down – well, they've gotten – they definitely shut down KD, but then they went and got past Giannis, you know, the defending champs. I feel like the, the Heat might have been their, their easiest task, but – you know, now they get the the a team that's been here before. And the Warriors was a team that a lot of people said, you know, they before the playoffs are like they old, they this. Now it's like everybody like Warriors and five. <laughs> Warriors and like, yeah, I'm with them. I, uh, cool. I, th- I think the Celtics, as a, a longtime NBA thought leader, I, I believe the Celtics will give the Warriors fits defensively. And and I I yeah, I, I really I really think that they match up as good as you could possibly match up against the Warriors. If it's good enough to win, it's true. I don't know. But and it's I, true. I, like, Clay is like such a deadly suitor still, but like, uh, I feel like it's not a good matchup for, since Clay can like no longer move. I feel like he doesn't want to play a team that's like so good defensively. And Clay Thompson used to be considered an elite defender. That is no longer the case. So, you know, they, they missed that part, but man, Kavon yes. Looney. Been I know. Ball. What's that all about? And they gonna- <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna need that with Al Horford all of a sudden turning into uh Atlanta Hawks Al Horford and he's been balling too so they're gonna need both well, I, of them, I, I feel like Looney might have a little more difficult time against Robert Williams and Horford uh compared to was the center for Dallas shoot I forget yeah, the guy uh, the, the, that guy whoever he was anyway well they don't they, oh, they barely Kleber, use Kleber. the center in Dwight Powell is what Adam is claiming. Producer Adam Wise. Yeah, Dwight Powell, Cleaver, whatever. I mean, they, these guys don't even—they don't even box out. They're running down the court when the ball's in there. So, so I, uh, I, don't anyways, know, yeah. I don't know if Looney's going to get there. Uh, but yeah, we all—it's not even going to be a series, is what we're all saying. No, I'm, I think you guys both said the exact opposite. <laughs> but uh, well, it should be an interesting NBA Finals, Lawrence. So, like, who—who's the? We, so there's four guys we want to ask you about. I think I will. I'll just start. I was going to ask you who you want to start. Let's start with J.K. Dobbins, who. We've all kind of just slotted back into like the top 24 at running back. But, you know, the Ravens, they've traded Marquise Brown. We know that they're returning to their roots this year after last year's, like by necessity, last year's increased passing. But the increased passing just didn't work. The identity change did not work. We Everyone thinks they're going to go back to like their true like ground and pound. But I just wonder if we're like getting a little ahead of ourselves with J.K. Dobbins. He's a third-year pro who has 152 career touches. And can we feel truly safe projecting him as like an RB2? What are your thoughts on J.K. Dobbins? Yeah, um, an RB2, yes. A high RB2, can you feel uh, really confident in that? Probably not. I currently have him uh, ranked as uh, RB19, so right on that cusp right there of RB2 status, just simply based on, you know, him playing with Lamar Jackson, uh, we know he had the skill, but like you say, not a lot of touches to his name. And then you got to see what the health is looking like with him and Gus Edwards, because 
They both coming off preseason, season-ending injuries. So it's kind of like you kind of seeing which one of them start practicing in full first, and, and you kind of see how that and see how that's gonna go. We've heard nothing that you know Dobbins uh, is going to be slowed up by the injury coming into training camp. We haven't heard that yet, so no news is good news. So you know, as long as that stands pat right there, I could feel confident having him as a uh, you know like like a lower end. RB2. You reference both uh, running backs. You, you don't really like love when your number one and two running backs are like the ACL buddies. Like they, within like yeah, two or three weeks, yeah, tore their ACLs. So Denny, I, I agree with Lawrence's assessment. Like part of like the, the J.K. Dobbins, I feel like set and forget RB2 ranking is like thinking he will catch some passes. Like he didn't flash a ton as a pass catcher. He didn't flash nothing as a pass catcher as a rookie, but it didn't seem like like a future like superstar pass catcher. Do we think he's going to be the primary pass catching back or could it be someone weird like Mike Davis who has added – Sixth-round rookie Tyler Beatty, who really has that kind of skill set. How do you feel, Denny, about J.K. Dobbins as a pass catcher? I think, I think you know, you hit the nail on the head with talking about Mike Davis and Beatty. I mean, you know, Mike Davis, when he was uh, back up to uh, CMC in Carolina. World's largest in. pass catcher, like six foot eight, 380-pound, amazing running back pass catcher, Mike Davis. Mike Davis is like 5'11", man. I know, I'm just saying. He looks like a big guy. <laughs> I mean, he's, you know, he's a thick guy, but, yeah, but, uh, you know, but he did a great job as a pass catcher. He also was good, a good pass catcher in his limited usage in Seattle before that. So yeah, he, he does come with a history of pass catching Beatty profiles as, as a good pass catcher. So I, I think it would be presumptuous to say like, oh yeah, JK Dobbins, he's going to, whatever pass catching goes on in that backfield, he's going to get it because it's not going to be a lot. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not like Lamar Jackson's going to be dumping it off to, to, to running backs time and again. It's just not, not how the Ravens work. That's not how Jackson operates. So I, I do think that, that that aspect of Dobbins' game can be overblown a little bit. Lawrence, do you think he could be – what did say J.K. Dobbins like isn't the third down back? Is he still a confident RB2 then, or do we have to like reassess like early in the season he's not catching any passes? If J.K. Dobbins ain't the third down running back, I'll be worried about Gus Edwards then because then that's when you're taking away reps from him, you know, especially when it has to do with a uh, pass pro. You know, I, I don't – well, I'll take Tyler Batty out. He, he's, a, he's a good pass catching running back. I don't think uh, Mike Davis is that good of a pass catcher to just say, hey, get Dobbins out of the game. I could see him get in there. But um, not to the point where it's like, oh man, we can't let Dobbins catch this pass out of the backfield. But it's but it's still not enough to say, you know, oh, J.K. Dobbins is gonna get 50, 60 targets. That's tough for me to envision. I kind of see it as, you know, whoever is in there mm-hmm. is in there between, you know, Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, and Mike Davis. I ain't going to factor in the rookie running back yet because them guys still got to come in. They got to prove them because we thought like this about Justice yes. Hill in the past. And remember and that guy? Carve out a role. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, will, I ain't going to get too quick on a rookie, but I will speak on Mike Davis because he has played in the league, you know. So 
it could be a situation where it's like, man, whoever in it, then you just never know. But I don't feel like, you know, J.K. Dobbins finna be just like 2018 Todd Gurley <laughs> with his passes. Now. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I'm right there with it. I don't love that, but it's like, you know, I don't feel like he's going to get yeah, yeah, nothing. Yeah. He'll get something. That's actually probably a good way to lay it out where we might not really know who the Ravens third down back is to like later. It might just be like a real slowly evolving thing. Like, so they might be just yanking guys off the field just because it's third. It could just be like a really unsettled. It's definitely a situation right now where like, I don't see like the soft spot and ADP or anything like that. You know, like where like Tyler Beatty's just going way too low. Like there's no like, like we just don't know enough to know to really say anything accurate about the Ravens third down situation. David Njoku Lawrence was a surprise franchise tag recipient. Now he's a surprise four-year contract recipient. I know you were a big fan. What do you think the Browns plans are for this man, Lawrence? Well, man, even before the contract, like you just said, man, you know, they get rid of Austin Hooper they they franchise tag him, so it's like saying, hey, look, we're going to try to do something with you. Now, he hasn't been as productive as you would have thought a big six-foot-five dude who run a 4-4 would have been, but um, it looks like they're going to commit to that now. Obviously, with the four-year deal, you bring in uh, Watson, who presumably going to be their quarterback, you know, at some point here, and that can only help David Njoku, and, and I, I mean, I like him to the fact of uh and this is assuming that Deshaun Watson is the quarterback before the contract I had him as uh inside the top 10 in my rankings so um now that he got the contract like I feel even better about that situation Denny, what, what are your thoughts on David I have like a lot of thoughts but I also though I just like my thoughts are like I don't know what to think yeah what's your David well, Njoku take well Njoku uh was top 10 last year in yards per route run among tight ends, uh, just behind Dalton Schultz and, and Zach Ertz. This is uh, tight ends who ran at least 200 pass routes. Every, everything points to Njoku being efficient with the very limited, bafflingly un, uh, you know, limited uh, opportunity that he's gotten in the Cleveland offense. And the Cleveland offense that has used two and three tight ends more than any offense in the league since Kevin Stefanski took over. I, I think they, they are shifting away from that philosophy, that, you know, heavy set philosophy of, you know, running the ball no matter what, like lots of tight ends on the field at all times. I think we're going to see Njoku running way more consistent routes. I think we're going to see him more in the slot rather than coming, you know, uh, r- rather than in line. So I think everything po- points to him being used more as a pass catcher and all signals point to him being a really good pass catcher and a productive one so I, I i can see how someone could you know myself included fall in love with him at his adp injoku uh, lawrence where where are you taking injoku in uh you know in redraft leagues or in best ball in a couple of redraft leagues i've already done i've been i've been getting them as my last pick right before i take my kicker in my defense really? so i yeah, I take yeah. him in uh, definitely in uh, double-digit rounds. If I don't get my true guy, which obviously is Kyle Pitts, if I don't get him in the fourth round, then I'm just I'm just gonna wait it out and and just kind of sure. live and die with the drug 
through. And uh, and just to add to that, you know, um, with them bringing in uh, with them bringing in Amari Cooper, you still gonna kind of have a battle for uh that wide receiver two position and that right. that second guy in targets and that could very well uh shape out to be David Njoku. You know, I think Njoku is a guy who you know avid more intense if you want to say fantasy football managers you know you can get them in a lot of leagues very late and i think i think that in in more more savvy more intense leagues you're going to have to actually like make a choice on where to draft him like it's going to be a little bit difficult because you, you're probably going to have to take him in like the eighth round or something and so you're, you're really going to have to think about it but in 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 maybe more casual leagues where you know david and joke is not exactly a household name in in you know football circles so, you know, you you will probably be able to get him very late. And th- this made me think of our latest Njoku blurb on NBC Sports Edge, where the replies were mostly, who is this? <laughs> I've never <laughs> heard of <laughs> Zoomers have never heard of anyone. My quick Njoku thoughts are that he's 26 years old. He's never exceed. He's only exceeded 500 yards one time. He's never exceeded four touchdowns. But, like, there's also – he's missed 15 games since 2019. So part of it was injury-related. These uh, talent problems around him the whole t- whole time. Like, he's never had a quarterback even close to him. But the quarterback who gets suspended. Um, there's, like, a lot of weird stuff going on. But I, I, at the end of the day, I understand the positive case because they need targets, like, so bad. Like, it's Amari Cooper and then David Bell, a rookie. Like, they really need someone to gobble yeah. up these targets. We know the big play upside is there. It seems like they're gambling. The, like, yeah, he can he can really take that next step now that we've we've really upgraded under center. And like, it, it is encouraging that the team that knows him best was willing to like make this kind of bet on him. Uh, but man, it's just like it's just so tricky with tight ends. This happens a lot with tight ends, where you kind of have to go, where you have to really do the tea leave, tea leave reading because it's such a slow to develop. In, and there's just yeah, a lot going right on. now has a 13th round ADP on fantasy football calculator. That is really low. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I took him in our draft uh, that we did together with us. I can't find which round I took him though, uh, but I but I know it was extremely late. Yeah, so he like especially like in like your your home leagues, the the ADP is never going to get like that unreasonable. I don't think so. Like. He he could be a, a relatively cheap like flag plant player, um, so like Lawrence, yeah. If you're like really into David and Joku, which you are, I think you should be able to get him like almost all of like your home type leagues without having to really reach. Uh, I mean, I know, things do tend to happen in the summer. Like by August, he could be like the tight end eight or something. And, and what Denny just said was at some point you might have to draft him in the eighth round if you really want him. I feel like going along in the summer, that might happen. Cause you know something movement could happen or yeah. player injuries and this stuff and that or you know it might be a blur that come out David Njoku being used in the slot and that's all it takes is for that really is all it takes that's all it takes <laughs> that is truly all it takes and it's also like the the normal drafters might not be like super tuned in on Joku right now they maybe haven't heard his name in like two years because he was really hyped his first year or two in the league. And he's just been yeah. really under the radar the past year. But you know, once they like start logging back on in late July, early August, like it, like there could yeah. be like 
very dramatic ADP swings. And so very what, short what you guys are saying is it's up to us to inflate, to artificially inflate David and Joe Kuzi. Yeah. <laughs> or deflate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, people that we're just manipulating ADPs we all are. the time. Like, yeah, oh. Justin Vikings That's are seen said Justin Jefferson's bad. I mean, <laughs> Lawrence, something we've been debating all spring so far, including earlier this show, is which Chiefs wide receiver do you want to prioritize in drafts? I feel like every person I ask, I get a different answer. What is your answer? And, and it could change with any day. Just like you said, we change ADPs. Today, I will go with Juju. Thank you. Simply Thank you. Sanity. Thank you, Lawrence. Simply because he's the – what the reason – my main reason is that he's proven, even though it was a long time ago when he was playing alongside Antonio Brown, and he still hasn't proven to give you those elite numbers without Antonio Brown, but he's done it. MVS, he has not done it. McCole Harmon, damn sure ain't done it. And then you got the rookie coming in. Sky Moore, you know, literally so, named Sky. Yeah, it's Sky the Limit. <laughs> we gonna see. Um, but right now, as of today, I got to go with Juju. The Chiefs later on in the season, when when they when defense started clamping down on uh on Tyreek getting deep, Patrick Mahomes in the offense they adjusted. They got Tyreek instead. They got him the ball intermediate, and he just run the rest of the way for the touchdown. So they're already kind of used to uh, running with that type of offense. Now Juju ain't going to run. You know, he ain't going to run like no Tyreek. But that would, that'll would create more opportunities for him to be, you know, the PPR monster that he was early on in his career. You know, so, and they, they're going to need him. He's the veteran wide receiver of the group when you really think about it, even though he's still like, what, 23, yeah. 24 years old. I think he's 19. Yeah, he might be 19 and a half, actually. But so he's going to be the, the better receiver in that group. So as the day, I got, and he's he's my highest ranked Chiefs wide receiver. So Time. I have to say Juju. So, Denny, you look like you have, you're bursting with more thoughts. I, on the situation. I feel attacked. Vain. You know, yeah. Lawrence hit the nail on the head. I just think, I don't think all those adjustments from the middle of last season are going to go away. They became a, just much more involved in intermediate parts of the field than they used to be. And I just think Juju makes by far no. the most sense, especially over the primary competition, Sky Moore. Like, they, they, you don't sign like the veteran wide receiver and pay him what $5 million to give Sky Moore more intermediate targets than Juju. Nothing, you know, nothing against Juju. Him and I are good friends, but you know, that, that, that short stuff, that's Hardman. That's Hardman, guys. Uh, that, Hardman is the really short stuff. We're talking the true I, I intermediate. Like that sweet yeah. short stuff. Hardman's the stuff that it doesn't require any receiving skills whatsoever. <laughs> the stuff that does require receiving skills. Uh, I, I hate that. That's right. I, I, I want to. I wish it was Hardman that I was saying right now. The thing about it is, he's been in that he, when they when they hit training camp. All the receivers, he will have been in that offense longer than anybody. That's his advantage now. That you could say that's it. The, the also though at the same time. He's been in the offense so long, and what what has he got to show for us so yeah. far? And I don't even like talking bad about this dude. I hope it don't sound that, but that's just that's just what it is right now. And it, and it, I guess we Lawrence and I should maybe Miko did. 
do a little bit more at the end of last. I mean, week 18, he had that eight catch, 103 yard game um, where he was kind of maybe finally showing some like second year, some next step to his game. But like Lawrence said, like he's got three years now, Patrick Mahomes, and it still has not really happened. You know, there's been some Tyreek Hill injuries in there too. Like, so there's been opportunities before. Like when you've got Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, like occupying so much defensive attention and you just can't pop. Uh, I do. I'm very skeptical that it will be this year. Um, so Denny's, Denny's fired. <laughs> what can you do? Um, what can you do? Lawrence, another guy we've talked about is Travis Etienne. He's going to be a really like hotly debated player all summer. Like where? Cause he was going to be, he was this insanely prodigious rusher in college, but he was a good receiver. And that's all the Jags talked about last summer was he's going to be a receiving back. Now that coaching staff is gone. Uh, James Robinson is still in the early, he's like the mid stages of recovering from a torn Achilles tendon. Travis Etienne's creeping into the top 24. Dude, also, I'll start with that. Can we trust Travis Etienne as an RB2 this year? Um, he, he's getting there. And, and, and we'll go back to it again of pumping up ADPs. It was recently a video of him uh, catching passes from Trevor Lawrence, him just simply catching the ball, turning it upfield against no defense. That'll get us going right there. I got him right inside my top 30 running backs. And, uh, you know, if the opportunity is there, I don't see why he can't be an RB2. Based on how Cam Akers came back from his Achilles, you would expect James Robinson back at some point. How effective he'll be, we don't know. But uh, ETN, the last time we did see him play, which was in college, he was explosive. Like you said, he was good at uh, catching the ball, as you said. Um, and for him, being on that team, the Jaguars, and they stink. So he's going to need them opportunities. And if he could get that, like James Robinson did, right? James Robinson was an RB1 on a sorry team. So it's possible. It's definitely within the realm of possibility that he could creep into uh, RB2 status, especially if he's that guy out the gate for them. Yeah, it's a weird situation, like, because Cam Akers kind of like reset the Achilles recovery timeline, but Cam Akers was also like a much bigger prospect, a much more like lauded athlete. Like James Robinson's the former undrafted free agent. Uh, it's a totally new, it's his third regime in three years now. Like he just might not get like the benefit of the doubt he deserves, despite being that is true. above average NFL player the past year. And again, in 2021, even as like his coaching staff is actively conspiring against him. Like I do feel like crazy because he was still yeah, playing good, playing super well. No matter what, I think Travis Etienne's gonna get like all the runway. But Denny, I have a wondering, like, uh, did the Eagles? Did they ever like produce? I'm looking through like the old stats now. The Eagles look like they never produced. Like, they never had a thousand yard rusher under Doug Peterson. Like, I, is this like a good scheme yeah. for a running back? I mean, do we even know? Like, are the, what are, what are well, the people it, saying here? No, I mean to answer your question, it's not a great scheme. For- for someone to emerge as like an every down workhorse. I think the caveat would be uh, where, where is the competition going to come from for at the end? And, and you know, with James Robinson sidelines, Snoop Connor, what'd you say? Snoop, Snoop Connor. Snoop Connor. Sure. See, I, I knew about that guy. Mm-hmm. Heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> Fifth I've been on his Wikipedia page and <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I guess that that's, that's the upside, but really, I, I'm I don't think you're drafting Etienne as like, you know, like a high volume, tough nose rusher. I think you're drafting him as a 
the guy who is going to get the ball in space, as they say. You're hoping he's like a Chase Edmonds type. Season. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can see it, but you know, probably a little, a little more volume. Yeah, yeah, a little more, and a guy who was a, like a known finisher. Yeah, and and the, the Jaguars, her beat writers, are intent on giving Trevor Lawrence easy to execute throws because this, this, this struggles last year, you know, and and we, they they want to give him some easy some easy targets. I think Etienne is perfect for that. I'm looking through like the Doug Peterson Eagles backfields and. I think I could give you guys a thousand guesses, and you wouldn't be able to guess the Eagles' leading rusher from 2016. From 2016. <sighs> from 2016, I could give you a thousand guess. I, I actually think I could give you one thousand guesses, and you would not be. Able no, to it's not Legarrette oh, Blunt. Oh. Legarrette Blunt was 2017. I, I know. Yeah, he's yeah. He Jay Ajayi. Oh. No, no, not even close. <laughs> guess though. Is Ryan? Oh Matthews. my. The Zoomers Holy. do not know. The Zoomers do not know. Ryan Matthews wow. ruined an entire generation. Ryan Matthews ruined an Ryan, entire the, generation. The number 12 overall pick of the 2010 draft, Ryan yeah. Matthews, um, was the Eagles' leading rusher in 2016. It's a different time back then, folks. Different era. He never played again, by the way, Ryan Matthews. That was his sure. final season. Well, that's how you got to go out. If you're going to go out, you better <laughs> go out as the Eagles lead in Russia. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, man, these are going to be just, like, fascinating. Eddie's going to be fascinating all summer. Dobbins, fascinating all summer. Chiefs wide receivers and Joku. Like, these are just, like, four situations to really, like, keep your eyes peeled on. Stay, stay, stay locked on NBCSportsEdge.com. And we'll see if our opinions change. Maybe by August, we'll have all flip-flopped on all of these. But um, I think I'll ask you guys real quick one answer. Quick, who do you have more faith in as an RB two, J.K. Dobbins or Travis Etienne, Lawrence? J.K. Dobbins. Dennis. Yeah, I guess Dobbins. Ugh. Yeah, even I would say Dobbins, but although <laughs> I feel like when I'm on the clock, I would just draft Etienne instead. It, it would be it, it. You sweat it out on the clock. That, that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. That's it's really it's true. Like. Like, oh, well, I'm going to have to change my rankings since there's actually is no way I would actually draft yeah. this guy over this guy. And um, so, all right. That does it. They said it couldn't be done. We did an hour show on May 31st. I want to I want to thank Denny for making this possible. I want to thank Lawrence for making it possible. Most of, most of all, I want to thank myself for making it possible, uh, the 60-minute podcast. But thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully you got some actual information. We, I thought we did hit on a lot of interesting topics today. going to be a lot of interesting stuff still going up on NBCSportsEdge.com. We're going to have our team preview series beginning in the next few weeks. So look out for that. Look out for Draft Guide going live, hopefully within the next month. Um, so for, for Lawrence, for Denny, I'm Pat. Thank you for listening. We'll be back later this week. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.